Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. Good morning. Our scripture this morning comes from Matthew 19, 13 through 15. Then the little children were brought to him in order that he may lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples spoke sternly to those who brought them, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of heaven belongs. And he laid his hands on them, and he went on his way. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There was a man in the early 1900s named Herbert Woolston who became a Baptist preacher in Philadelphia. And he read Matthew 19 and was convinced that he was going to set a goal to minister to 100,000 children in his lifetime. And he did. He actually was a magician on the side, so he would do sleight of hand tricks to like emphasize the gospel message of some sort. And along the way, based upon Matthew 19, he wrote this song that I wonder if you can finish. Jesus loves the little children. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. If you don't know it, you just learned it, right? It was diversity before diversity was cool. And Herbert Wilson comes up with a song that emphasizes this beautiful song. And right, we, we don't sing this song really in worship anymore. It was a song that was put in hymnals that was sung by people in big church worship, not just in Sunday school, but it became this Sunday school song that children would sing and it was really cute. And then we'd bring the children's choir up in front of everybody and they would sing it about themselves. And it was this really cute moment where we imagine these little children just walking up to Jesus' lap and getting this really big bear hug from their beloved Savior. And the question I have this week is, when does a kid, when is a kid not cute enough for that moment anymore? Let me ask in some different context. What is the difference in Matthew 19? What's the difference between the children that Jesus rebukes the disciples and said, no, let the little children come to me and have this cute, wonderful moment. What's the difference between those children who sing, let all the children of the world, and the young man in the very next story that some of you may know as the rich young ruler? Now, we've talked about that when the oral tradition, the stories that were being passed down orally um, about Jesus 
um, were finally written down. So Matthew is writing down these stories in, in uh, the Gospel of Matthew for the first time that resources were sparse. And so pieces of parchment, ink, those things are rare. And so every word matters. The order of stories matters. They're very deliberate about how they formulate Scripture. And Matthew specifically, uh, he copies from Mark. Mark already had the story of the little children coming to Jesus followed by what we know as the rich young ruler. But Matthew um, takes the this, takes this same story order. He puts the little children coming to Jesus followed by the story of the rich young ruler except in Matthew, he's not a ruler. In fact, Matthew's the only one who when talking about this man, this guy who asked Jesus a question, um, gives him the adjective of young. And I don't think this is an accident. And we don't know how young he is. But he asks this question of Jesus. He says, good teacher, what good deed must I do to gain eternal life? And there's been uh, decades, centuries of skeptical interpreters who say, well, this man was trying to trap Jesus into giving one specific command that was over every other command and, and trying to figure out um, how he could be seen as blasphemous according to the law. And, and we've sometimes looked, and maybe this was a uh, you know, nouveau riche, rich young ruler guy who's just trying to showboat Jesus. And he's trying to get one up on Jesus, that he's better than Jesus, as this young, sarcastic man even. But I wonder if the young man following the story of the little children who weren't allowed to come to Jesus but finally are, I wonder if he's just curious. I wonder if this is a coming-of-age story about a young man who is trying to figure out in a world in which tells him you must do these things to be successful, you must be these things to live up to expectations. I wonder if he's just curious about this very important teacher who's been traveling around Galilee that does absurd things like let little children come to him. And if you think I'm off base here, I don't know if you've talked to a high school student recently high school student who will say, how many AP classes do I have to take to get that scholarship? What, how many extra credit points do I have to do to get into the top 10%? Wait, it's not even top 10%, it's top 7%, right? I heard a middle school the other day, a seventh grader, ask the question, will this extracurricular look good on my college application? Seventh grader. If you think this young man isn't looking for the exact perfect resume to get into heaven, to get into eternal life, to, to make it into the temple even, go listen to our high schoolers. But if you think he's not also curious about a man who's offering his lap for children to come forward when children, well, if we look at Galatians chapter 4 verse 1, Children were no better than slaves. And to compound the story a little bit more, right, we know he's a young man. We also know by the end of the story that Jesus tells him, go sell all that you have and come follow me. So we know the guy is rich. And I have done most of my ministry with people who are of some sort of affluence. In fact, all the churches I've ever been a part of from youth ministry on up have 
been churches of affluence. And I'm not here to say that rich people problems or middle class people problems are as hard as those people who don't fit into those categories. But in the prophetic words of, if you're a rap fan, Biggie Smalls, I'm sure most of you know who that is, mo money, mo problems. When you reach a certain income potential, to follow the words of Jesus means you have to take a step down in terms of what we would call quality of life or success measurables. And for a child who's growing up in those envi- in that environment of high performance, high expectations, well, there was a survey done in 2015. NYU did a survey of college, of, uh, college students and high school students who were about to graduate and go into high school, and they looked at um, stress-inducing factors. And what they found was that um, children who were, grew up in affluent situations, the stress level of meeting their parents' expectations put upon them while they were in college was equal in terms of stress level, a score of a stress level, to those who have to work three jobs to make it through college to begin with. To live into that measure of at least reaching the threshold of what their parents have achieved and what their parents expect upon them was as stressful as working three jobs just to get through college. And the youth that I've worked with, I remember one kid in Atlanta who I just think, and his, his parents were both on the top 500 lawyers in America list. I remember saying, Landon, what do you want to be when you grow up? And every single time somebody would ask that, he would say, my dad wants me to be a doctor. I'd say, well, Landon, what do you want to be when you grow up? My dad wants me to be a doctor. And similar stories of children who have grown up just seeking, seeking to, to make society happy, seeking to make their parents happy, seeking to live into what the Jewish people would have had for their kids. You know, it's, it's very interesting. We, you know, I, I showed you the passage where, we, where Paul is talking about immaturity between the law and grace. He's not talking about children here. He's talking in Galatians about um, those who are immature are those people who have to uh, dictate the law to everyone else. They have to be in charge of somebody else and, and rule them by the law instead of leaving space for grace. But the metaphor he uses for those who are immature are children. And children are no better than slaves. The cultural context we have of Matthew 19, where Jesus is allowing children to come for him, to him, are children who are no better than slaves, whose role in life is to be quiet, do what you're told, and live up to expectations. Do the job, meet the job, do what we say. And even if you get into Proverbs, it says that basically children or grandchildren, are there to make the parents and grandkids look good. Have you ever heard this before? You may have heard it in more poetic. Spare the, spare the rod, spoil the child. There are three passages in Proverbs alone. Proverbs is a book of wisdom given to young Jewish men on how to be upstanding Jewish men in the elite society of, of, of ancient Israel. There are three um, parental, uh, ad- there are three uh, areas of parental advice in Proverbs. And all of them involve, if your child steps out of line, beat them back in line. It's a very loving posture of the Bible. You will find more, more language in the Old Testament related to how you should treat animals with love and empathy and care 
than you will your children. Children are to be quiet, do what they're told, get the job done, continue the family lineage, live up to expectations. And this is the environment in which uh, these children are being brought to Jesus. And they're being brought to Jesus because Jesus has been preaching different things. There, there is one side of Jesus that is preaching different things in Matthew chapter 5. The Sermon on the Mount happens and, and all throughout Matthew. But the Sermon on the Mount happens and people are listening to Jesus say things like, um, you have heard, but I tell you. And we tend to think in Pauline terms that it kind of gets looser, right? We don't have to, we're immature if we're in the law and things get a little looser and nicer when, when we follow Jesus. Well, Jesus is telling people that I tell you, or you've heard that it said don't commit adultery, for example. But Jesus says, but I tell you that if you've already looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. Jesus is pushing people towards uh, a way of life that isn't bound by a codified set of rules that we follow just to show people how good we are. Jesus is encouraging us to be good at our soul level, to love our neighbor as ourself at our soul level. And it's actually a little harder to do because we have to check our motivations and check our actions and attitudes more than just our outward behavior, more than those things that look good on a college resume to meet the expectations of our family or society. We're called to simply be good. And, and this young man sees these different expectations, but he also sees this more strict definition of life by somebody who's willing to take the least of these, these children who are no more than slaves, who are just meant to get out of the way, be quiet, and get the job done. Jesus is also telling these children, come be closer to me. In fact, Jesus in Matthew 18 before says, I truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Jesus introduces this idea that maybe children who haven't been saddled by the burden of a mortgage, children who haven't had to live up to the scrutiny of the SAT test yet, children who haven't been fired from a job for underperforming and had their entire self-confidence destroyed because of it, maybe children have something to teach us about what heaven looks like. Maybe this young man, this young man is looking to Jesus for something different. Maybe a little space for grace as he is trying to live up to all the resume applications, all the requirements that society's placed upon him and he still can't get there. When Jesus says, you know what, I just want you to have good in your heart. I want you to leave all this behind. I want you to change the way that the world operates and just follow me in the space for grace and love for all people. And he still can't do it because he means he has to take a step back from what we've called success. And I know that all of us in here grew up with this same dualism. If you're not a kid right now, right? All of us grew up in the same space. 
right? And we grew up with expectations and college applications and we grew up getting a job and, and many of us have grown up to, to some level of success, right? And so what do we do is we have grown up in that era and we have grown up in that environment and so we think everybody else should do that. When I meet with couples for premarital counseling, I always ask them, how many kids do you think you're going to have? And they always answer, you know, it's always funny when somebody says, oh, we're not having kids, and the woman says, like, six, right? And <laughs> figure out, well, there's a conversation you need to have. And then I ask them, well, why do you want to have kids? And that's a little bit of a harder question because people assume that's just what you do. And it always comes into some form of well, leaving a legacy, Right, someone to, to pass on our family name, to live up to our expectations, to continue what we've started, right? To make us look good is why we want to have kids. Well, is that really the reason we have kids? When we look at 1 John 4 or even Genesis 1, when, when God created and the reason we exist in the first place, did we exist so that we could simply live up to God's expectations and God could rule us with an iron thumb? Or did we exist because God is love and therefore needs something to love? in the most innocent, pure way. We grew up in this atmosphere of living up to the expectations. We met or beat them sometimes. And so in a true fraternity-like fashion, what we do is we just say, well, you, I did this, you can do it too. Instead of perhaps asking the question, I wonder if we change the world instead of expecting our young people to do it for us. And you might come back at me and say, well, I survived, I'm doing fine, right? But I did a poll of our staff. And, and Carrie Lynn did a poll on social media. And I just, we just asked the question, if you could pray, if you could offer a prayer for your younger self, let's just say your middle school or high school self, what would you say? That's Patrick O'Connor, by the way. Patrick would pray, there will be times in your life that there will be struggles. Remember that God will never leave your side. There will be times you will be abused and taken advantage of. Remember that Jesus suffered too. There will be times of joy. Remember to be thankful during those times. You are a beloved child of God. Katrina offered, breathe peace into 16-year-old Kat. Help her cultivate the confidence that comes from being your beautiful creation made in your own image. Remind her the thoughts and opinions of others have no weight on who she is or wants to be. And guide her in growing to love herself as much as she loves others. Wendy McConney offered, Dear God, help Wendy to see that you are there for her. Help her to see that with you are her struggles, fears, lack of confidence, and insecurities can be handed over to you. You are all she needs. You will guide her every step of the way. Kaylin Maxwell down in our nursery offered up, Dear God, please, be, please help me to be fully present and enjoy all the wonderful seasons life has in store and to remember that the hard ones won't last forever. Please help me to be, cherish the amazing people you've put in my life and to show your love to everyone I meet. Please help me to realize that if I wake up and decide this isn't the path I want for my life, it's never too late to change it. Please help me to always see the beauty in the world and the people around me. I know if I look for the good, I'll find it. Love me. Others on social media offered up, my prayer to younger me would be for self-confidence and patience. Listening, communication are virtues and you are stronger than you know. Your life won't be like this forever. There is hope. Even though they, you don't know how to share your faith with your friends, they will see it in you. You are enough. Our sanctification is found in God, not in the things of this world. And it wouldn't be fair if I didn't embarrass myself too. <laughs> Lord, help me trust that people will love me even when I don't meet all of their expectations. 
Help me love myself when I don't meet all of their expectations. Help me remember that the greatest accomplishments in my life will not, be ever, will not ever be able to be measured or valued. What you didn't hear in there was, God, help me go make a better ACT score. God, help me to know exactly what I want to do with my entire life at 16 years old. What you, you didn't hear anything in there was what can be measured or valued. What you heard in there behind the subtext of every one of those prayers and the ones that I didn't even read to you this morning, the subtext of every one of those was an environment of the expectations placed upon them on some level that were, that, that were stifling on some level. Because on some some path, at some level, kids go from being these really cute things that sit on Jesus' lap and receive all the love and adoration of the world to investments that we've made. And, and when they become investments of all the time and money and hours of driving them around, they have to live up to the investment. And there was a woman on KLTY about three months ago, and she was talking about when she first had her child, she prayed every night, thank you God for my daughter. Right, tears would come to her eyes about how joyful she was that she had received this blessing in her life. And then as the daughter grew up to be about one, two, three years old, it was, um, dear God, I give this child to you. Let this child be, uh, and not in that way, right? <laughs> yeah. It was, you know, it was kind of like, right, it was Hannah giving up Samuel. God, I give this child to you and, and make of this woman what you will. Use her, let her be prosperous in your way let her know you let her be in love with you let her know your love it was when she got to middle school that she prayed lord please take this child <laughs> and she said from that time on she found that her prayers were less thanksgiving less reliance and trust on god less coming to jesus's lap less letting the child be a child and it was more of God, please make my daughter do this. God, please make my daughter do that. And our prayers of thanksgiving went to a law based of control. I'm not saying that children don't need discipline. I'm not saying that children don't need guidance. Ephesians chapter 6 will tell us that uh, we are supposed to guide our children, but it also then tells us that we are not to drive our children to anger. We are not to rule them with an iron fist. We are to give them to God. We are to allow the space for grace. And so when we pray for our children, let's not forget the ones that aren't cute anymore. Right? Let's not forget the ones who are in middle school and high school who in communities like ours and in DFW in general are feeling as much stress about living up to the expectations of our community around us as somebody who has to work three jobs to put themselves through college. Let's pray for them in a way that is celebratory. Let's pray for them like the child that still gets to sit on Jesus' lap even if she is a senior in high school about to go to MIT. Let's pray for them before we sign them up for more soccer lessons. Let's pray for them before we sign them up for more SAT classes. Let's pray for them. Let's lead them to forgiveness and grace before we sign them up for more expectation 
upon their life. Let's teach them to love themselves as God loves themselves. Let's remind them of their baptism when we held this cute child and we said, this child was yours before they were even born. Because that doesn't go away if they make a B. It doesn't go away if they didn't get into their first school. It doesn't go away if they get denied from their first job. It doesn't go away if they decide to major in art history instead of physics. How are we praying? How are we allowing our children to have the same space for grace that those children whose parents thought they were no better than slaves found in the lap of Jesus that day? And so that's your practice for this week is to pray over the next generation. And for you, the next generation might be the parents of the high schoolers because you're old enough to have grandkids who are high schoolers. Your prayer practice might be for your high school student. Or if you're a high schooler, your prayer practice might be for the middle school kid or the elementary school kid. If you're an elementary school kid, I want you to pray for the kids in the pre-K. And if you're a pre-K kid in here, I want you to pray for Bailey Carver who just got baptized. And going out from here, from this space immediately, there are posters down in the lobby gathering area you will find. There's the cornerstone table, there's other things, but there are posters out there for each grade level. And your, I would say, task for today, if you are feeling called by God to do this, is to go and write a prayer for that grade level. And what we're going to do is, if it is a preteen poster, we are going to put those prayers in the preteen center. If it's a high school poster, we're going to take that across the pond, and we're going to put that in the high school house over there. And they are going to see the prayers that our church has for them. So if it's blank, that might be embarrassing, for one. But if it's full, if it's full, I wonder if that junior in high school who's worried about their resume can't come and look at a poster on the wall during SNL on Sunday night and know that at least one space, at least one space has enough grace for who they were created to be and not who we expected them to become. Let's pray. Praise God for all of those who are finding their way who are coming out of a path of what I should do to what I can do, who are exploring their boundaries, testing the limits, sometimes making us pull our hair out. Lord God, they are beloved children from zero to 99 years old. May we remember that your lap is always open for us to come and be embraced to never be ashamed, and to know that you offer space for grace for all of us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.